What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Time Off Podcast. I'm your host, BK. I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person that always has to be doing something. So even when I'm not working, I'm working towards the goal. Growing up, it was sports and training parkour. Then I traded those in for music and more entrepreneurial goals. But I've always had a passion that I pursued in my free time. In this show, we're going to talk to guests who have all different types of interesting hobbies, passion projects, and side hustles that all take place in the 16 hours outside of their 9 to 5. So come join me and let's see what our next guest does in their time off. All right, guys. So today's guest is a business systems analyst for a global technology company. And if that sounds like a big deal, that's because it is. We actually had to move this interview because he has a call with Singapore this evening. This young man is most likely the biggest Red Sox fan you will ever meet. He's the owner of one of the best kept lawns in the greater Rhode Island area. He's the only person I know that can actually bowl over a 200. And on top of that, he still finds time to brew some banging beer. We'd like to welcome our guest, the self-proclaimed healthiest man in the world. Some call him C-Drip, some call him McGee, but he's always Uncle C-Dog to me, the one and only Chris McGee. Welcome to the Time Off Podcast, Chris. Wow, what an intro, man. Thanks for having me on. No problem. We're happy to have you. Sweet, sweet. No, happy to be here. You know, I'm always uh, always excited to kind of talk about my little uh, my little passion project that I've got going on. For sure. When I was thinking of people to interview, you obviously popped into my mind early on because I know you're somewhat obsessive about the things you like, similar to me. So, you know, let's just start out by, why don't you tell us a little bit about your nine to five, your daily hustle and what you got going on? Yeah, sure. Um, so like you had kind of touched on, so uh, I work for a, uh, we're actually a global manufacturing company. Um, we've got a handful, probably about eight or nine locations in the U.S., uh, a couple locations over in China, Singapore, um, Netherlands, all, all throughout Europe, um, which is pretty interesting. I get to travel a bit for work. Um, so I work on the technology side of the house. Um, I started off there as a software developer, um, typical kind of that, you know, basement programmer in the basement who bangs away at a keyboard all day. Right. Um, and I've, I've kind of moved my way up now. I actually just got moved into a new position a week or two ago, actually. Um, so in my new position now, I, uh, I work a little bit more kind of in between kind of the technology side of things and the business side. I'm basically a liaison in between. Um, so I'll work with, I'll work with the business kind of identify, you know, what type of programs they need developed, you know, what would make, you know, make their days a little bit easier. Um, and then kind of translate that and hand that off to some of the programmers on our side to, to get it done. Very cool. That's, um, kind of over my head. I like, I know technology <laughs> and know a little bit about a biz about business, going to business school, but you got me there. You know, it's, yeah, it's funny. Um, I always, it's for anytime somebody asks me, you know, what I do, you know, it feels like the answer gets longer and longer. People have been asking me for years and I, I still don't really have a concise way of saying it. Usually I'll boil it down to, I make things happen when you click a button on a computer. <laughs> it's really the magic behind it. Right. I remember you being like the IT guy in the family, which really seems like it sucks because everyone comes to you when they have an issue. Well, and also, you know, that's, that's what's funny too. Everybody always thinks, oh, first works with computers. Um, I'm, <laughs> you know, I don't work on the hardware side. I, I right. Stink with you know, stink with printers. You know, I'm the classic. You know, if it doesn't work, shut it off, turn it back on, and let me know. <laughs> um, but everybody way. always thinks you know, 
I've got a virus. Chris, can you help me out? Uh, that's, that's nowhere near kind of my, you know, my wheelhouse. Right. It's good to know. All right. So <laughs> yeah, don't ask me about your brother. <laughs> I won't, but could you uh, come fix this equipment for me when you get a chance? <laughs> so we're going to get into some of your passion projects and some of the stuff you're interested in. Starting out, I know, because I know you, we are related. I've known you your entire life, well, a year after. But you didn't play a lot of sports growing up. How did you become so obsessed with baseball and the Red Sox? Um, you know, yeah, so we played a little sport, you know, sports as a kid here and there. Um, so with baseball, it really was, you know, I was usually hanging around the house and everything. All of a sudden I flipped you know, flip the TV on and I realized, Hey, these, you know, these, these games are on every single night. That's, that's pretty cool. You know, instead I've never been a huge, you know, TV kind of sitcom kind of guy. And I just realized, Hey, you know, if this is on every night and I can pop it on, you know, I, I like kind of the, the consistency. Of it. Um, and really just kind of spiraled from there. So you, you went as far to, um, do something with the logo, right? Yeah. I've got the socks logo on my body and it's, it's funny. The, um, the day that I had booked the appointment for my tattoo, uh-huh. the, the Red Sox had a historic September collapse, and the day that I booked my appointment was the last day of that. September 2011, they found a way to go from, I think it was, you know, 10 games up in the division to on the last day of the season, fall completely out of the playoffs. And that was the day I decided to uh, to ink them on my body, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> So, like, we can give you credit for flipping the curse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so that's the thing. It's funny. You know, my parents were never huge baseball fans. I grew up in southern Connecticut, so actually most of my family's Yankees fans. Um, right. So 2004, 2007, I had no clue, really, they even happened, to be honest with you. So <laughs> I never watched any of those those cool historic teams. I mean, I'd seen 2013 and last year, so that's pretty sweet. But, you know, I the, when, the, when the Red Sox broke the curse, it meant nothing to me. <laughs> You know, it's funny about that. So two of my siblings were born 2004 and 2007. So when they well, maybe were... Maybe they broke the curve. Yeah, well, when they were in um, the playoffs again a few years later, I looked at my stepmom and I'm like, you're not, you know, you're not having another kid. They don't need to win that bad. <laughs> <laughs> so staying on the sports topic, uh, we've been bowling a few times over the years. You've seen me cry when I lose. <laughs> I've gone over that, but why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that's that's another one. You know, I really some of these things just happen to kind of you know kind of fall in my lap. I'm just like you. You know, I'm kind of the epitome of never doing this. Um, right. You know, I like to I like to kind of get my hands dirty, try things out, and then when I do, I more often than not kind of go all in on them. Um, so probably the the. Right out, right when I graduated college, uh, my brother had been had been bowling a bit with his buddies back at college too, and we just you know we started going on Fridays, crack a couple beers, and just go and toss around a little bit. Um, morphed into, I met a few I met, met a few guys at the bowling alley, um, and they were talking kind of amongst themselves. I was in the lane over from them. They were talking amongst themselves, and I said, Hey, did you guys just say you were uh, you were looking for somebody to join your bowling league? And they said, yeah, we actually are. And I said, you know, I, I wouldn't mind hopping on it. Um, and it's funny, it's kind of all history from there. It's, there are a couple of my a couple of my best friends now. Um, we've won our league a few years in a row, you know, not to brag. <laughs> um, 
it typically, you know, it sounds, it sounds uh, impressive. Usually it's just kind of beating up on a bunch of 65 year olds. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, I, I have a blast doing it. It's a, it's a cool sport. You know, it's, it's something, it's one of those things, the more you learn about it, um, there really are kind of, it's a lot more than just kind of throwing a ball down lane. Um, you know, there's some physics behind, you know, what's going on inside the bowling ball, you know, the cover of the bowling ball, there's different things you can do with it. It just appeals to kind of that, you know, that nerdy, you know, intricate side of me that likes to, like I said, kind of dive all in on things. Oh, for sure. I know you had kind of talked me up a little bit on the, uh, you know, only man to bowl over a 200. I actually, uh, one time I had the first 10 strikes in a row through my 11th ball. So a perfect game is 12 strikes in a row. Um, I threw 10, 10 in a row. The 11th ball probably was the best one I threw. Left one pin. And didn't even take it, just completely missed it because I was so bummed out at the end. Oh, man. Oh, the classic crash and burn. I think the most I've had is, uh, what is it, turkey? Oh, is that gobble, gobble. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I was out of my mind. It was funny. I actually, um, I was on my lunch break at work. Every now and then there's a bowling alley right by my work. So every now and then instead of, you know, grabbing lunch or something, I'll toss a game or two. Um, so it was actually on my lunch break at work. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Did you have anyone there to actually prove that this happened? I might have been the only person there, so maybe the person at the counter, I probably could have gone and high five. to be honest with you. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm still uh, not uh, still not a great bowler, but I did get over the crying when I lose. Yeah, so. Usually, I mean, when I whoop up on you that bad, I can't blame you, man. It's a tough L. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Just so I don't cry thinking about those memories, why don't we move on to the good stuff? So a few years ago... I started seeing you check in this random beer that I've never heard of on Untapped. It was called Double Header. So why don't you get into that, the history of that? I'm going to let you go and just tell us everything you can about it. Yeah, of course. And, you know, it's funny. A few people have said that before me, too. I saw this out of nowhere. What's up with that? Um, there, I've never heard of that. So I, uh, I've always been, you know, a huge kind of craft beer fan. You know, all throughout the years, I've always started off with kind of some of the local stuff, and now it's evolved into a little bit more of, you know, kind of trot. I'll drive an hour and a half sometimes to go, you know, grab some Freehouse, grab some Trillium. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool hobby. You know, I've met, I've met a lot of cool people through it. I've met, you know, some really good, some really close friends now and everything just through, like, trading beers and stuff like that. So, you know, one day I kind of decided, hey, you know, this is, this is pretty neat. Obviously, it's something that I'm really into you know, maybe for lack of a better term, you know, let's, let's see how the sausage is made, you know, let's, uh, let's kind of give this a shot and see, you know, try my hand at it. Right. So I went, there's a, there's a homebrew shop, probably about a half hour away from me. Um, went over there, they had, you know, this little starter kit that I grabbed is about a hundred bucks, you know, kind of had everything you need to brew your first batch, all the equipment, all the ingredients and everything. I'll tell you, it was, it was a nightmare. I had no clue what I was doing. I was, you know, boil, boiling on my mom's stove in the kitchen. The thing boiled over and scalded the whole stove. I was scrubbing, you know, burnt sugar off of the stove oh, for you know, two hours after. Um, it, it was an absolute mess. And, you know, I didn't have I didn't have the right thing to, you know, clean with, to do all this with. You know, it just felt like every single thing that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And, you know, I let it let it ferment out, you know, I bottled it up, let it sit for a few weeks in the bottle, opened it up, and I figured, you know, there's there's no way this is going to be any good, <laughs> you know, just with everything that had kind of gone wrong along the way, and I, I cracked one open, and you hear that little, you know, that little hiss from the carbonation, and I was like, wow, okay, so we got something cooking, it might be, 
carbonated hot garbage. Right. Um, but at least it's gonna, you know, kind of at least taste like beer a little bit. And, you know, I poured it and it, you know, it, it looked like beer and I gave it a try and it was actually halfway decent. You know, I, I really, I was so surprised that through everything that, you know, had kind of gone wrong along the way, you know, I had, I had made something that was drinkable, <laughs> you know, from there, I kind of, you know, got the itch and I started, you know, kind of, you know, buying some, buying a little bit more legitimate equipment, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying, trying out different types of beer and everything. And when I, until a few years later, I bought my own house and now I had, you know, I have all this space and everything. What am I going to do with this? So at that point I had upgraded a lot of my equipment and at that point I was bottling each beer individually, which, you know, you bottle three, four, five gallons of beer into 12 ounce bottles. It would take me about two hours. So I said, you know, this is, this is for the birds. <laughs> and I bought, I bought a keg set up. So, you know, I bought a keg, I bought a CO2 nice. tank bought a whole, you know, chest freezer that I converted into, you know, something I could pour beer out of. And I had it just sitting down in my basement, you know, and I'd have funny, I'd have, you know, all the, all the guys over and we'd just be crushing beers off of that, literally sitting in a room in my basement. No, no furniture, just a couple of dudes on the ground crushing, yeah. crushing beers out of my kegerator. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I've had, I've had some of those beers out of that kegerator. I must say I'm also a craft beer drinker. I take those same trips to Treehouse, and it was some pretty good stuff. I remember the first time that I had one of your beers was, can't remember the date, but your brother was having a party. It was a It's Gonna Be May party. Do you remember that? Oh, of course. Classic, yeah. Yes. So you made, it was a wheat. I think that was the wheat I probably did with uh, blueberry and lemon. Yes, because my wife Kat loved it. And she's still like, when's Chris going to make another wheat beer? So. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. I'll run a special delivery down to you guys. Ooh, nice. So I, uh, you know, I, we, we had, you know, everybody kind of hanging down in my basement. And I decided, you know, let's, let's build a bar down here. <laughs> I've got all this space. I, I've got nothing but, you know, time. You know, let's, let's make this into a full-blown man cave. So... I built out, you know, it started off, you know, a couple of two by fours in a frame. And next thing you know, I've got a, a pretty legitimate, you know, not to toot my own horn, a, a pretty, pretty cool looking bar down there. I've got, uh, I did some shelving on the inside. It sits about, uh, it sits about five or six. I did, I ran a whole speaker system down there with a 12 inch sub from a car. <laughs> it's a little, nice. a little aggressive, but you know, it really is kind of put it, I mounted a TV up on the wall. So. You know, it really is a perfect place where every year we do our uh, fantasy football draft down there. And it, it really it lets me kind of, you know, feel like I'm playing house. You know, it really makes me feel like I get to play pro brewer down there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Actually, I went into a brewery recently, a very small one up in the Mystic area. And it reminded me a lot of your bar in your basement because you walked down into like a old school, like white walled basement. And there's just a bar sitting there right in front of you with a couple of taps. And I was like, this is exactly like his. And that's, you know, that's what I love. It's got a little bit of charm to it. It's, you know, it's not completely finished by any means. It probably never will be. You know, it's a, it's a bar. It's, you know, it's got some glasses hanging out down there. I've got all my, uh, my dead and company posters down there. So it's got some, you know, some good artwork down there. And it's really all you can ask for, you know, some good music, good beer, good artwork. You can toss the game on in the background and, it's really fun. You know, I love being able to have people over and, you know, share my beers with them and everything without having to, 
you know, bring it somewhere in a bottle. You know, it's nice to be able to kind of host and be, you know, and, and get feedback from people. You know, we'll do little beer tastings and everything. Um, and I'll put my beer up against some of the some of the commercial beers, and people always. I don't know if they're just kind of blowing smoke, but you know, people always, always seem to seem to enjoy it. So no, I've definitely, I'm happy about I've it. definitely had some good ones. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's what I go for. I don't do a ton of, you know, I really, I like things kind of to circle back on the craft beer. You know, I'm usually going to these places that you spend, you know, I'm driving an hour and a half, you spend, you know, $20 four pack on this beer. And some of my friends, you know, they're not huge into beer. So if they come over and I offer them one, they have half of it and say, oh, that was okay, and leave. Oh, it was a five-and-a-half-dollar can of beer that they really just kind of, you know, foo-fooed at. So right. um, a lot of the times what I'll do is I'll brew things that are approachable. Like you said, I'll do a wheat with, you know, raspberry. I'll do a lot of um, – I'll do some stouts, but just with um, with a ton of vanilla bean in them. Um, I do some – I just did a sour. I have a sour on tap right now uh, that I just did. Basically, it's a whole tropical bomb. It's uh, – Mango, papaya, pineapple, uh, tart cherry, raspberry. It's basically a fruit salad. And the thing, you know, everybody just absolutely loves it. I've really kept it. You know, it went in probably a few weeks. Yeah, my mouth is watering right now. <laughs> probably hear it through the microphone. So name some of the beers you've made or some of the types or anything like that. Yeah, sure. Um, and this can kind of lead into the other fun part of it that I do. So... I, uh, I actually, I just brewed it up and just got it in the keg a week ago. Um, so I, ha- I grow my own hops in my backyard that I'll harvest. And once a year, I'll harvest all the hops, I'll dry them out, and I'll make a beer with the hops that I grew in my backyard. Um, I call it Homestead. That's and awesome. It's, yeah, it's one, of, it's one of my favorite things. You know, I'll do it once a year. It's kind of my like yearly, yearly thing. I'll tweak the recipe a little bit every year. But it's it's so cool to you know to be able to brew a beer with ingredients that I literally grew, you know, thirty feet away from where I'm sitting right now. That's that's very cool. So that goes along yeah. with having the nicest lawn in Rhode Island. Oof, the lawn right now is just nuts. Yeah, again with the uh, I guess you know some call it an addictive personality. I like to spin zone it as going all in on the things that I do. Um, For sure. But. Your boy's got the, the greenest lawn in the neighborhood right now. <laughs> so you got the greenest lawn, you got some green hops, and then you turn that into a yearly beer. That's awesome. Yep. And then so with that, you know, I for every every single beer that I make, um, like you had touched on earlier, so I, I made a I have an on tap page that I will make I'll go and I'll make a uh, I'll make a label for every single beer that I do, which, you know, I've I've got zero graphic design skills. I I go and usually have a beer or two and sit there and poke around on my bootleg Photoshop that I have. But to be honest with you, it's some of, some of the most fun that I've had. Again, you know, it's just one of those things. It's so nice to have something kind of organic that, you know, you made from the start to the finish, for, you know, from the, especially with the, you know, the hops that I grow at home. But, you know, I know I, I made this beer. I made the label for it. You know, it's, it's so cool to see something straight from, you know, concept to execution like that. Right. I, can completely feel that that's actually something I touched on in the intro episode being able to take something from your brain and literally turn that into something physical is one of like my greatest passions so I'm, I'm similar to you I make the artwork for all my songs that are released and just being able to work through that process and figure out like from beginning to creating an actual product's really really cool 
yeah, to be able to have something tangible like that, you know, really, you're you're right. It's really it's really neat, it, and it's it's super fulfilling too. You know, for sure. it doesn't it doesn't hurt that you're able to get drunk off of what I make as well. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely helpful. Catching a nice little buzz doesn't hurt. <laughs> so why double header? Where did that come from? Um, so I'm glad you led me in with the baseball. Um, it's a it's a baseball term, you know. So if you look at the right. logo, it's uh it's two home plates, you know, kind of juxtaposed upside down, you know. So I was kind of I was kind of kicking around for a while, and I knew I wanted to, you know, make a make a fun little brand for the most part. And everything I was kind of coming up with felt a little, a little either too you know too deep or too try hardy. Yeah. Um, so I was like, eh, you know, double header. I like you know that's. Doesn't love a nice, you know, day night double header. So, you know, it really just kinda kinda fit what I was into, you know, and I I knew I didn't want to go full blown into, you know, the the baseball puns for the names, you know, double play IPA or anything. So I keep my I keep my beer names usually pretty pretty straight, but you know, I like the you know, it's something a sport that I'm into and it kinda it works, you know. Yeah, I was just gonna mention that. I'm happy that you didn't go like the corny gimmicky route. Not to hate on the people that do it. But like, well, so you know. my first probably two, three, maybe four beers, uh-huh. I I did go that corny gimmicky <laughs> okay. route, but not on the uh, not on the baseball pun side of things. I did uh, so I did <laughs> I did a um a wheat with lemon zest and lime zest uh-huh. that I called we we the zest with a uh, DJ Khaled picture and okay. lime zest on shoulders. Right. Uh, I did a super hoppy pale ale called hop line bling <laughs> that I redid the hotline bling when that song was big. I redid the, you know, kind of the album cover for yeah, that. I can dig it. Uh, yep. And then I think I did one, a classic one that, because I'm terrible, uh, called orange. you glad. I think that was a wheat with orange, orange. Zest. Nice. So I'm glad that was a, that was a save. <laughs> for sure. Who doesn't like a good pun or dad joke every once in a while? Exactly. You know, I'm glad, it, you know, I'm, I'm glad I kind of got that out of the way and switched over to kind of acting like a grown up here. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's awesome. So how, like, I know you talked about being very bad at it at the beginning and boiling over onto mom's stuff, but like, how did you learn the process? How did you figure out like, okay, I have to do this. I have to build this. I need this equipment. So just like how you learn anything nowadays, build the internet. <laughs> yes. YouTube and Google University. Dude, seriously. So there's um there's a couple of really good or actually pretty much one. Um there's a homebrewing subreddit which is probably one of the more helpful places in the universe. You know, so between there's a subreddit, there's a couple forums and honestly there's there's two there's two or three um homebrew shops pretty close to me all within probably about a half hour and they're they're some of the most helpful people too i'll go and i'll stop by it's funny these people are uh, you know you stop by everybody brings kind of you know all their homebrew in it's 10 30 in the morning on a saturday and everybody's just sitting there kind of cracking beers talking shop but because they're drinking it out of little six ounce six ounce taster glasses it doesn't matter that it's 10 30 in the morning <laughs> right so yeah, so you go over there, you know, you talk shop, and really anytime that I've, you know, I've got a question or, you know, hey, how should I do this? How could I go about doing this? You know, I I got this weird little off flavor. What do I do to combat that? You know, between between the internet and local people, there's there's just such a wealth of knowledge out there. Like you had said, I mean, YouTube is awesome. There's a ton of people on YouTube. 
you know, Reddit's always a great place for really learning anything, any of the hobbies that I've gotten into. Um, Reddit, there's always a subreddit for it, most likely. And you really, you find there's a couple, you know, a couple Facebook groups, and you find just such great communities of people who really just want nothing but to help people out. Yeah, Reddit is definitely awesome for that. I Last week, I couldn't figure out something with a piece of equipment in the studio, and Reddit was where I found the answer. It's, it really is. That place, I mean, you can you can get into some trouble there, too. But <laughs> Definitely. And there are some people that are like, shut up and figure it out yourself. But Oh, yeah, you got to watch out. But, I mean, it's the classic 80-20 rule, you know. 80% of the people are probably going to be helpful. <laughs> right, definitely. So is there anything else you want to share with us about brewing process or beer in general? Um, you know, really just it's, you know, for, for people who, it's funny, I'll have people kind of ask, you know, or, or, you know, give me a little bit of crap about, I'm always kind of bragging about, and I don't want to say bragging, I guess, but I'm, I'm proud. I'm sure it comes off a little, you know, as bragging, but, you know, it really is like we were talking about, you know, it's so cool to be able to kind of make things and see them come to fruition. And, you know, I'll get some crap every now and then and really just turn around and tell them, you know, you, you should be doing things like this too. You know, you should have things that you're out there and, you know, proud of. There's so much more to life than, you know, just kind of doing the nine to five and coming home and watching Netflix. You know, I still watch plenty of Netflix, still have time to kind of veg around, but there's so much more to, you know, get interested in and go learn, you know, go learn a hobby or start learning, you know, an, an instrument or, you know, start exercising, you know, running or something like that. You know, it, it's just, it, it it's fulfilling, you know? That's literally the entire mission of this podcast. So if you want my job, you can have it. Hey, you know, hey, this is your new host, Chris McGee. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. You know what? We might have to have you back as a co-host. I'll tag team this thing. I'm down. <laughs> so if anybody wants to get into this, like say you inspired me today. Now I want to start brewing my own beer. What is like one key piece of advice you would give me? Or a whole bunch of advice, however you want to do it. So it's funny. There's a there's a saying in homebrewing that everybody echoes. You know, anytime, especially on you know Reddit or anything like that, if somebody somebody will chime in, usually, hey, this is my first batch. You know, I did this one little thing wrong, or this took you know it should have taken me ten minutes, and it take it took me twenty minutes. Did I just ruin this whole batch? So the phrase is, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew. You know, and it really is. It's it's funny. People people used to make beer back in you know back in the 1600s. I forget how long ago it was. I'm not exactly a history buff on it, but in a hole in a hole in the ground. You know, they would make some some sugary water in a hole in the ground and throw some flowers into it because they knew they had yeast on it, and would make some some funky beer that would ferment out. But it was beer, you know. So it's it's funny. People always say, you know, just, just patience it really is tough to, to screw it up. I mean, it's true. Like with any passion project, if you go into it looking for results or looking to be the best at it, your first try, you should probably not even start. So it, right, for sure. it's, it's important to like, if you're going to go into something, know what you're getting into and do it because it brings you joy. Don't do it. Cause you're looking for anything else, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, always trying to strive to improve, but it's it's tough with anything like that. You're always naturally your own biggest critic, you know? I'm sure you, you're that way with, you know, your music and everything that you do. For You have that first, you know, 10 minutes of, oh, wow, this is, this is awesome. This is so great. 
and then all of a sudden you kind of you sit there and you stew on it a little bit more and uh, next time I would have changed this or I would have done this and so that's that's what I fight with a little bit to you know enjoy it. it's nice to be you know it's okay to be critical it's okay to kind of figure out what you might want to tweak next time or what you could have done better but you know take that step back and really really enjoy it too and that you know let's just let's just help have have a good time with it let's just help have some fun Definitely. I completely agree with that. Uh, one of the things we didn't really touch on, so like the process of brewing, how like long of a process is that? What are like the, the key steps? Could you go into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. And it's it's funny. You really can kind of, you know, it feels like it's this magical thing. It's You can oversimplify it pretty quickly. So it usually takes me, I can, depending on kind of how, you know, how high percent the alcohol, you know, how high percentage the alcohol is, Usually I can I can make a beer and be drinking it two or three weeks for the most part. But really it's a couple of kind of key steps. So you make basically sugary water. So you get, you know, so you crush up a bunch of grain, you know, a bunch of malt, um, crush it up, and pretty much you soak it. And you make oatmeal for the most part. You make a really, a really thin oatmeal. Um, it's just obviously five gallons of it instead of a small little bowl of it. But right. so what it is you um, when the, the grains fit in warm water, the starch turns to sugar and you make you make sugar water, basically. And then with that, you, you toss some yeast into it. The yeast turns that sugar into alcohol. And a few weeks later, you've got beer. You know, it's, it's pretty much that simple. That's cool. But I mean, yeah, if you don't have the, uh, the patience for it, like two to three weeks starting out, if you didn't know that, I could see that getting yeah, and frustrating. Yeah, you know, it's there's there's a little bit of patience aspect to it, which is a lot of the another reason that I had uh, I had switched over from kind of individually bottling things to kegging because with kegging the second the beer is kind of ready, I can throw it into a keg, hook up a CO2 tank and be drinking it the next day. So if I really wanted to, I could probably make something and be and be drinking it a week later, you know, seven seven eight days later, which is pretty cool. You know, when I need to turn something around, I've had. You know, I'd be hosting a party or something and realize, oh, shoot, I should probably have a beer on top of this. And, you know, with a week and a half to spare, I can have something ready to drink for the party, which is pretty fun. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. So, like, if you think about that process and then scaling that to where these larger craft breweries are making 20 different beers and canning or bottling or kegging, like, that's insane. And and that's funny, you know, so I actually wanted to touch on that. It's I've I've gained such an appreciation for you know for the pros and it's where I kind of draw a little bit of a similar similarity with my work experience. So I um I support our supply chain side of the house from you know from an IT standpoint. Right. But so that's pretty much you know procurement, so getting all the materials we need to make you know make the products we make. So everything kind of from procurement, order fulfillment, and you know shipping. So really kind of getting things in making it and getting it back out the door and you know it's just absolutely nuts because you're right these people they have 18 beers on tap at once you know and they you know they're planning i've talked to some brewers and everything and they're planning they've got their their brew schedule planned out for the year you know and they know what they're going to be brewing six months from now on you know the monday of the week so you know the planning that goes into it you know going ahead and making sure that they've got all the all the grains all the hops all the yeast in place you can't you can't afford to you know butcher a batch and not have not have beer or have you know one beer on tap for a week and a half. So it really does it gives you it gives you a respect for you know I have a hard enough time keeping one beer consistently on all the time because I'll forget or I'll get busy. It it really I give kudos to those guys guys and girls who 
you know, who spend that much putting kind of their heart and soul into it. It's a, it's a thankless job too. Right now. I think like hearing that now I'm definitely going to be less upset when I go in and they don't have the beer I want or they ran out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if you go and you, it, it's made me on the cost side too go from, Oh my God, how are they going to try and charge me, you know, $6 for a pour at the brewery, you know, it didn't even hit distribution. It didn't even get marked up there, you know, making it myself, seeing the price of, you know, the price of hops right now, especially for all the big ones that people want in their beer, their IPAs nowadays, uh, they're, the prices are absolutely unreal. So it really does. It gives you a newfound respect for the people who do it at that, at the pro level. If you don't mind me asking on like a small scale or your size, like what does it typically cost to, uh, make one of your beers i usually like to kind of shut my eyes to that just because it's one of those people who say, oh, you must be saving some you must save so much money doing that and i i said no because i still drink drink plenty of commercial beers on the side and then i'll go and spend a hundred dollars for this shiny new this shiny new little toy or something like that right. um but i'm typically so i'll usually typically people do five gallon batches which is about two cases worth of beer i usually do three gallon batches which gets me, you know, a little over, you know, probably about 30, 30, 12 ounce pours, um, just because it lets me brew a little bit more frequently and just kind of keep things moving a little bit. But typically I'm probably, I'll say maybe 40 to $50, depending on, you know, what, what, what I'm doing with the hops, if I'm doing extra fruits in it or something, probably somewhere 40 to $50. So I'm still probably, you know, a dollar and a half, $2 a pint. Uh, yeah. That, I mean, that gets expensive. Definitely. And, you know, half the, half the time I'm pouring it off and giving it to people, I probably drink a quarter of what I actually brew. I use, I really, I just enjoy, I enjoy sharing it with people. You know, I have people over, usually every Friday I bottle a bunch up and give it to people at work to go enjoy over the weekend. I really barely drink any of the beer that I make. Right. I was going to say that's probably a lot of the joy of it and the importance at the end of the day. It's not really how much you're spending on it, but it's the joy you get out of it. And just that whole process, being able to do it and have some sort of a little passion project on the side. Mm, yeah, and I'll have people come and say, you know, I, I, I had my, you know, I had my mom try that, or I had, I gave my my aunt a sip, and she doesn't even like beer, and she loves that. And you know, there's, there's no no better feeling than that. You know, people saying, you know, I don't even like you had said with your your wife. You know, I I don't even like beer, and I'll you know I'll drink that. That's all. That's always you know really what ultimately is is what I do it for. She yeah, she really doesn't like. We go to breweries, and she's like, "Do you have wine? <laughs> do you have Do you have Christmas wheat ale? <laughs> yeah. Do you have that double header uh, blueberry wheat? <laughs> no, it's too funny. Just tap. Sorry. All right, Chris. Well, thank you for uh, talking to us today about all your different passions. If these people that are listening want to follow or learn more about your brewing process, uh, how could they get in touch with you? Sure. So. Um, I've got an Instagram that I, I try to post pretty, pretty regularly on. I'll do all my uh, my new labels and all my new kind of you know beer releases on there. Um, so that's at Doubleheader Brewing, um, the Untapped page, which is really kind of my my bread and butter. I enjoy you know kind of having all my friends check in on there and everything. Is uh, Doubleheader Bruco, I believe. Um, you can just look up Doubleheader on Untapped and. I don't think I have Twitter or anything for it yet. I'm sure I'll end up kind of spiraling off the rails there and making one of those too. Cool. Well, in case you guys miss that, I'm going to put all that information plus some more in the description so that you guys can go check out Chris and Doubleheader and all the awesome, cool things he does. 
appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. Chris, this is awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. You truly, I think, understand the point of this show and how important it is to have those passions outside of work and have that time where you're going to find some joy in the little things and really enjoy yourself in your time off. So thank you again for calling in. Thank you for hanging with us. Really had a good time. Yeah, of course. No, it was nice to it up with you. Thanks for having me on, man. Of course. Again, thank you everyone for listening to the Time Off Podcast. I'm your host, BK. This show is produced by Sono Entertainment and Recording Studios. We have a really awesome podcast set up here. If you guys are interested in podcasting or you think you might be, come check it out. If you want to be a guest on the show, send me a DM, send me an email at the Time Off Podcast. Thank you for listening. Enjoy your time off. Thank you.